Well, conference realignment remains a huge talking point across the college sports landscape, and we discuss what the Pac-12 might look like when the dust settles, what a move to the Big East would mean on multiple fronts for the Zags, as well as a conversation about Anton Watson's role this season, Gonzaga's rivalry with BYU, and a look at the upcoming MLB draft, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Terms and conditions apply. I also want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day, as well as those of you who are here to check out Mailbag Monday. As a reminder, for those of you who are new to the show or have not participated in Mailbag Monday before, it is very simple to do so, you can just reach out to me on Twitter whenever you are thinking of a question. Uh, that is at ScoreZagScore or at LockedOnZags. You can also respond to a tweet I post every Sunday morning soliciting questions. Just respond to that, ask your question. I'll get it in my notes and out into the world on Monday mornings. Finally, you can email me at andypatton 13 at gmail.com. Again, whenever you are thinking of a question, you can send multiple questions that way and I will get them into the show. All right, we got a lot of conference realignment talk today. This first question comes from Amish Goat Farm on Twitter, who says, does the Pac-12 recover as they're currently constructed or morph into something new with non-football schools recruiting the likes of Gonzaga, St. Mary's, or San Diego State? Uh, For starters, San Diego State is not a non-football school, although I do understand the sentiment there. Uh, I don't think either of those options is what's going to happen. I think that the Pac-12 is going to merge with the Big 12. There's some conversation about merging with the the ACC as well. I I just, the more I've thought about it, the more I've kind of seen the way this has shaken out. I don't think that this Mountain West Pac-12 kind of combo, I I don't think that's going to happen. I I just, I don't, no disrespect to the Mountain West. I I like the Mountain West. And and I think that they have some high profile basketball, football programs, which is the kind of thing that the Power Five conferences are looking for. But I just don't think this is going to happen. I think the Pac-12 is going to find a way to to glom on with the Big 12 in some ways and still kind of remain not. There's going to be two super conferences in the SEC and the Big Ten, and there's going to be a couple others still big power five, five in parentheses, because there's not going to be five of them, but there's going to be some still big conferences. And I don't think that the Mountain West is going to kind of push up into that conversation. So I think we're going to have a a Pac-12, Big 12 merger that includes the the non, obviously not USC, UCLA. I don't think Oregon, Washington, I think they're going to end up in the Big 10 somehow. Uh, and I think the rest of the Pac-12 schools are going to kind of merge with the Big 12 schools and form some kind of big tier two super conference out of that. 
Next question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, unless I misunderstood what you were saying in a few of your previous episodes, you seem to be saying the WCC without BYU would be the same level as a combo Mountain West Pac-12 conference. What convinces you that a WCC without BYU would be the same level as a Mountain West Pac-12 combo? Uh, Yeah, I think that is a misunderstanding. The the WCC would not be better than a Pac-12 Mountain West combo conference that could include, you know, schools like Utah State, Oregon State, Colorado State, Stanford, Boise State, Washington State, San Diego State, et cetera, et cetera. I just don't think that's going to happen. I, I, I kind of just laid it out in the first question there. I don't think that that is a, a, an option for the Zags. If it were to happen, I don't think Gonzaga would necessarily get the invite there because they would still be a football-only conference. And I think... I think the Pac-12 is going to, again, merge with the Big 12. The Mountain West is going to stay mostly intact, would be my prediction here, uh, which just means that this isn't an option really for Gonzaga. Next question comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, is the disregard for geographic vicinity of teams in college conference realignment the new reality? And what does it mean for student-athletes, colleges and universities, and fans? Uh, Well, yeah, it definitely seems like the new reality, obviously, I think, We've only seen two schools very prominently do this in a, in a significant move geographically in USC and UCLA. We're expecting a lot more dominoes to fall very soon. Uh, Oregon and Washington. Notre Dame's the next big big domino to fall once that happens. Oregon and Washington likely follow suit. Potentially, then we see this Pac-12, Big 12 merger. There's some stuff going on with the ACC and the SEC and, and some potential moves that could happen over there, too. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, these schools are, are, are saying definitively that the amount of money that they could make getting out of the Pac-12 in the case of USC and UCLA and for the other conferences, getting into the SEC or the Big Ten is, is worth it financially to take on more travel, to take on more... Uh, you know, missing more class, doing all of that. And, and I do think that it's it's got a negative impact in a lot of ways. I think for starters, student-athletes already miss a lot of class. Uh, and as somebody, I, I've talked about this on the podcast before, I worked for five years in higher education, specifically working with student-athletes' academic support. It's a very niche career, but it allows me to kind of have conversations about this topic from a place of understanding, like how much more class these students are going to miss. And obviously, you know, with football and with basketball, they have tons of support at these schools. They have, you know, 15, 16 academic support specialists. In many cases, the majority of them work primarily with the football and the basketball programs. But in in some schools, if they're taking all of their sports, like your tennis team all of a sudden is going to miss 40% more class. Like that's a very realistic situation that USC, UCLA are running into with some of their Olympic sports is all of a sudden these athletes who missed You know, they were missing class before still when they were traveling up to Washington or traveling out to Arizona, but they're going to miss a lot more class now. And I suspect that university officials at some of those schools are probably not thrilled about this. They maybe understand it from a football perspective and understand it from a financial perspective, but it's hard to stomach some of the the Olympic sports that aren't revenue generating. These students who who are coming, you know, they're not they don't have professional aspirations necessarily or their professional aspirations are less likely to be realized and they're now missing, you know, 10, 15, 20 more classes per semester or per quarter. That's tough. And so from a university perspective, the student athletes are going to have more of a challenge. Their life is going to get more difficult. The universities are probably going to need to spend more resources, more money to fund the academic support department, the compliance department to hire tutors, to hire people to kind of help maybe travel with these teams on the road. I think some of the bigger schools already do that. I know schools, the schools that I worked at had just started coming around to the idea of paying for academic people to travel for certain road trips. I don't know if Gonzaga does that, for example, but 
I think that we're going to have to start seeing more of that because this is going to continue to, you know, if every single sport at USC or UCLA is traveling to the Midwest every single, every other week, basically, they're going to be missing a lot of school. And and certainly if Gonzaga does end up going to the Big East, which we're going to talk about a lot more in the second segment of today's podcast, if, if every school, if every sport goes, that's going to be a huge conversation of how to figure that out. If just basketball goes, it's a little bit easier, but it's still going to be tough to kind of figure out how do we make this work from an academic perspective? And how does the university kind of feel good supporting this, knowing how much more classes these students are missing? And then the last point on here was fans. I don't think this impacts fans a ton. Obviously, there are going to be some schools that may lose rivalries. That's an unfortunate aspect of this. Certainly the Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State aspect right now is a, is a unique one because those are some of the longest tenured rivalries in college sports, period. So to not have them be, I think they'll continue to play those games, which is why I don't think this is a big deal, but it is still different. It is still strange. You know, Florida and Florida State have been in different conferences and they made it work so it can happen, but it is, it's still odd. So we'll kind of see how much more of these dominoes continue to fall and we'll have a better answer for this question. But for now, it's going to have pretty far reaching implications and it, it, it already has, and it's going to continue to continue to do so. Final question of the segment comes from the old Heffalump on Twitter who says, how do you see Anton Watson being used this upcoming season? Uh, this is probably one of the easier ones for me to answer in terms of players currently on the roster because I think it's going to be basically exactly the same. I, I really don't see Watson's role changing all of that much looking at the pieces on this roster. I think, you know, I've mentioned that I think Julian Strother is going to play a lot of his minutes in the small ball four role, similar to what Corey Kispert did during his final season in Spokane. Uh, Drew Timmy's obviously going to start at the five. He's going to play a bunch of minutes there. And then you have Efton Reed and Anton Watson kind of filling out the big man rotation. I think Watson's going to be the first big off the bench. I think he's going to play 15 to 20 minutes per night, maybe up 22, 24 on certain nights, maybe 13, 11, 13 on other nights. And I think he's going to be an efficient low post scorer. I think he's going to, he's not going to score a ton of points per game, eight to 10, somewhere in there. He's going to be a good rebounder. He's going to make decent decisions with the basketball in his hands, and he's going to be a hell raising defensive player. I don't think we're going to see this tremendous leap forward for him because I don't think he's going to have a bigger role in the offense. I think he's going to play a lot of his minutes alongside Drew Timmy or alongside Efton Reed. And in either of those situations, I don't think he's going to be like the big focal point offensively. So I don't, he's not going to be scoring 15, 18, 20 points per game. That would be very surprising to me. I don't think he's going to regress either. So I think it's going to be kind of more of the same, uh, which is not to sound like that's a bad thing. That's a very good thing. Anton Watson has been good his entire career at Gonzaga. And in a similar role next year, he's going to be very good again. And I think that it's it's easy for, for fans to kind of hope for something different. But I think based on who's currently on the roster and what has been expected of him over the last few years, I think it's going to be more of the same heading into his senior season. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment. We're going to talk all things Big East, answering a handful of listeners submitted questions on the conference realignment topic. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about today's sponsor, LinkedIn. As the sun comes out and small businesses are well back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find people you want to interview faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then, add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. 
Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. In fact, did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two. Still Andy Patton, still locked on Zach. Still rolling through here on Mailbag Monday in the middle of July. Talk and conference realignment. This next question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, with the way conference realignment is shaping out, it looks like several current Pac-12 teams are going to end up moving to the Big 12, and so Gonzaga is going to end up with two potential options in the future. Either a combo Pac-12 Mountain West, Mountain West Gonzaga Conference or the Big East with possibly Kansas as well. Any chatter about the Big East has been very quiet or silent for the last couple of months. You have been certain the Big East is where Gonzaga will end up. What makes you so certain about Gonzaga and the Big East becoming a thing? Since football is not a factor with the Big East, what might be... What might they be waiting for to make an official announcement? I want to be clear, certain is not a word that I would use to describe how I feel about this at all. I mentioned on previous podcasts that I believe this is going to happen, but that is not certainty. I do not feel certain about this at all. I just think that it is the likely outcome for Gonzaga in the future. I also don't know that this is going to happen super soon. You know, we're talking about USC and UCLA. This is going to, it's still a few years away from that even happening. And it's already been announced. I don't think Gonzaga is going to be playing Big East basketball in conference for a couple of years at the absolute soonest. So I want to be, I, maybe my, my previous statements were too confident sounding, in which case I, I want to make it clear, like, I'm not certain that this is going to happen. I just think that it is the the situation that makes the most sense. I also have already addressed the Pac-12 Mountain West conglomeration as not something that I think is going to happen. I think that the Big 12 is going to take Pac-12 schools, but that's going to be done in a merger situation, uh, and the Mountain West is going to remain mostly intact. Uh, in terms of an announcement for the Gonzaga and the Big East, I don't. They have a lot of. There's a lot of steps that need to happen before then. Uh, they need to figure out if they're going to take all the sports. They need to figure out the financial aspect. The Big East schools need to vote on it. They need to figure out what it would look like from uh, travel perspectives. There's a lot of things that need to get figured out before this could happen. I still think that Gonzaga is going to end up in the Big East at some point in the not too far future. Like, I don't think it's 20 years down the line or anything like that. Uh, But there's a lot of things that need to be ironed out before that. And I also think this question kind of makes it sound like remaining in the WCC is not one of the options. And that's not true. I think Gonzaga could absolutely remain in the WCC. I don't think it is the preferred option if the Big East is a reasonable solution or is reasonable to attain. But I, I don't think treating the WCC like it's they have to get out of there is the correct way to go about it either. Next question comes from MillerMike123 on Twitter, who says, If Gonzaga joins the Big East, what are the odds it's just in basketball with the other sports remaining out West? This may solve some of the travel concerns that seem to be the largest issue. Yeah, I I mentioned this on the previous episode, and I mentioned this on an article I wrote at scorezagscore.com. Shameless plug there. Check it out if you haven't done so yet. Uh, The problem is that the WCC may not, they have to agree to this, and they may not do that. In fact, I would be kind of surprised if they did. Uh, If... If, the, if Mark Few and the staff and the AD, Chris Standifer, go to the WCC and say, hey, we want to take our basketball programs, 
which is making the entire conference a huge majority of the amount of money that they make, period. We want to take our basketball programs and house them in the Big East, but we want you to keep all the rest of our sports. The WCC might say no to that. That would be a way for them to force Gonzaga to potentially stay in the WCC. It doesn't really make sense for the WCC to house baseball and rowing and volleyball and soccer and, and tennis and all the rest of the sports while Gonzaga takes their their big, huge TV revenue generating sport and moves it into a different conference. The WCC is probably going to say you either take all of them, you either leave them all here or you take all of them with you. And, and so that's where I think that the sticking point is for Gonzaga. Yeah, it would make a ton of sense if they could do this. And I think that they would try. They are probably trying to do this. I just don't think that the WCC is super keen to let them do that. Next question comes from Matt at MJD Marinas on Twitter, who says, which Big East arena and city are you most excited to visit? Uh, some of you Eagle Eye listeners may recall that Matt was a guest on the old ScoreZag Score podcast, previewing the Creighton game in the NCAA tournament, as he is a writer and podcaster about the Creighton Blue Jays. Um, very, very excited about all of them, <laughs> frankly. Uh, every pro, I, I, If the Gonzaga did join the Big East and I had the opportunity to travel, I, I would love to go to every single stadium, uh, every single city out there. Uh, Hinkle, Hinkle Fieldhouse, where the Butler Bulldogs play, is probably the top of my list. Very, very iconic old basketball arena. The Pavilion at Villanova. Obviously, Villanova is such an intense basketball program. Really passionate fan base. I think it'd be really cool there. The rest of them would be more more excited city-wise. I've been to Milwaukee, and I loved it. Uh, I've been to Marquette's campus, and I loved it. So I think that would be a really fun one as well. I haven't been to New York, New York since I was a little kid. So going there and seeing St. John's would be super cool. Uh, Cincinnati is a city I've been to. Xavier's out there. Uh, obviously, D.C. Like, there's, there's a lot of really fun places uh, in the Big East. And I think it would be very, very cool uh, for lots of reasons, obviously, if Gonzaga were to join the Big East. But uh, getting an opportunity to, to see them play in different arenas uh, and different places around the country would be very cool. Next question, final one of this segment comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, if you were to create a college basketball super conference, what teams would be in it and why? So I, I will probably, if you were to ask me this question tomorrow and the next day on the next day, I'd probably change it around just a little bit every single time. But this was kind of the first pass that I put together, trying to make sure that there was at least vague rivalries or teams that kind of made sense to be paired with each other. I ended up building a 16-team super conference. You could very easily do 20 here if you wanted to. Uh, here are the teams that I chose. Duke and North Carolina. That was the easy one. Kansas and Baylor. UCLA and Arizona. Gonzaga and Villanova. Syracuse and Notre Dame. Michigan and Michigan State. Kentucky and Louisville. And Indiana and Butler. It's a little unique. It's not just the list of the 16 most successful college basketball schools of all time. That wouldn't be very fun. I didn't take geography into account too much. Obviously, Gonzaga and Villanova were the schools that I put next to each other there. Uh, but I wanted a kind of a, a grouping of really high profile programs that have been very good lately, some higher profile programs that haven't been as good lately. Uh, they're all obviously pretty big schools. Uh, you know, we're, we're not adding a lot of some of the smaller mid-major programs here, but uh, I think it's kind of a, a good mix. I think it'd be fun to see these teams play each other in, in a regular season, even if like, you know, there'd be some weird matchups, like seeing Duke and Butler play every single year is kind of strange, but I think it would be very fun. Uh, or like Arizona and Louisville being in, being in the same league. It's weird. It's a little bit unique, but I think if you were to uh, have the ability to build a 16-team super conference of just college basketball teams, uh, this is at least what I would think would be a really, really fun pass at it. All right, two segments down. We're going to come back in the third segment and answer even more listener-submitted questions. 
But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball may be deep into the offseason, but the MLB, WNBA, and MLS seasons are heating up into the summer months. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment three. Still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags. Still answering listener-submitted questions here for Mailbag Monday. Got five more of them to get through today. We're, we're done with conference realignment talk for the day. We will have plenty more on it as the offseason goes on. This first question comes from Stephen DeWitt at S underscore DeWitt 11 on Twitter, who says, how many Zags will get drafted in this year's MLB draft? Yeah, the draft is coming up. It's about a week away as you are listening to this on Monday or whenever you are listening to this. Uh, And yeah, the Zags are going to have plenty of players drafted. The draft used to be 40 rounds long. Uh, It is now only 20 rounds long. That was a change uh, after the COVID shortened season in 2020. So less Zags are going to get drafted than would have otherwise been drafted when it was a 40 round draft, which is unfortunate. Um, My gut says five. That's the number that I picked here. Uh, Looking at the the list, Gabriel Hughes is certainly a lock. He's going to be a first-round pick. Tristan Vreeling is a lock. I think Michael Spalassi is going to get selected as well. And then there's a couple other guys who I think could very reasonably get picked within the first 20 rounds. Ezra Samperi comes to mind. Uh, there's a handful of other guys as well. So I went with five, thinking that those four guys would probably get drafted. There's probably one other guy who would go as well. But I'm. it's kind of anywhere from like three to six, somewhere in there. Maybe two to six. Maybe only two guys get picked. Although that would be surprising considering the successful season that the baseball program had. Next question comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter who says, Which Zag could win a season of Survivor? I think a lot of Zags could in theory win Survivor based on just the athletic accomplishments that you need to have, the personality, all of that stuff. The first player who came to my mind and after I thought thought about it for a while longer, I couldn't think of anybody better. Uh, so the answer I'm going to go with is Corey Kispert. He's smart. He's very athletic. He's likable. I think he would make friends. He would have the ability to not get voted off because of that, the, just the, the general charisma that he has. Uh, I, I think he could do it. I think I think Corey would be a pretty solid choice to win Survivor if he was ever to do a season of it. Next question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, It looks like Gonzaga and BYU have developed some pretty friendly relations, such that it looks like there will end up being several Gonzaga-BYU non-conference games after BYU moves to the Big 12. After Gonzaga ends up in another conference, what sort of potential do you see of BYU and St. Mary's becoming consistent non-conference opponents? And he says, besides BYU and St. Mary's, what other WCC teams would you like to see Gonzaga play in at least a few non-conference games? Yeah, this is, again, assuming GU moves on from the WCC, which is not a guarantee. They may remain in the WCC. If that were the case, I do believe they will continue to play BYU. Obviously, as BYU moves into the Big 12, I think they're going to continue to have that game be 
hopefully every year. They might miss a year here or there, but I think that they're probably going to continue to play it for the most part. It makes sense. It's a decent geographical travel. It's not super hard for them to do. They're familiar with each other, but it's never really going to hurt them from an RPI's perspective. BYU's had some down years in the past, but never so far down that it's like, you know, it's not like Washington State where Gonzaga had to just cancel it because it was it was hurting them more than it was helping them. That would be a pretty pretty big fall for BYU to ever be in that situation. And again, if if Gonzaga does move to a different conference, I think there's a reasonable chance that St. Mary's ends up making the move as well. We didn't really talk about this much with the Big East, but it's possible that one of the things that could happen with the Big East is that they they create a West region, which again, they can't really call the Big West because the Big West is a conference that already exists. So not sure how they'll name it. That's something that they can figure out another time. But it's possible that the Big East expands westward, adds multiple schools from the Western region of the United States to kind of fill out the conference. St. Mary's would would probably be the top choice outside of Gonzaga if they were able to make that work. I think that San Francisco could be on that list as well. Santa Clara could be on that list. They could look at some some whack schools potentially or, or try to pull out of the Mountain West if they think that they could convince a Mountain West school to to go independent for football. There's some options here. We'll, we'll end up seeing. I don't think they're going to, you know, they're not going to pull super deep out of out of the WCC or, or out of the WAC. They, they want to keep the league's level pretty high, but I think there's a way they could make it work. But if it doesn't work, if Gonzaga moves Big East, if it's just the Zags in Kansas, or if it's just the Zags, yeah, I think Few and Bennett are going to play each other every single year. It's more advantageous for St. Mary's than it would be for Gonzaga. But frankly, if Mark Few and his staff could just pencil in a non-conference game against a almost certainly top 30, top 40 at worst team in the RPI rankings, I think, yeah, I think they're going to add it. And I think they're going to feel pretty darn good about it. Next up, this question comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, "Great email with co- great interview, excuse me, with Coach Lisa Fortier. With BYU leaving the WCC, who is the likely new rival for the Lady Zags?" Coach Fortier mentioned rekindling the spark of rivalry with St. Mary's. Is there another WCC women's basketball program on the rise? Yeah, I think St. Mary's makes the most sense. Obviously, it's, you know, they don't have to have the same rivalries as the men's program, but I think it would be a little bit easier for the fan base to just kind of glom onto that rivalry and start like, you know, making noise at the crowd or making noise at the game from the crowd and kind of getting more into it that way. Uh, Certainly, if St. Mary's program continues to rise up and can nab Gonzaga a few times or at least keep it close, that's going to help make that rivalry grow. San Francisco makes sense for a lot of reasons as well. They're a good basketball program. They have the ability, the resources, uh, the fan base to potentially continue to grow there. Portland is on the rise as well. They have a new coach, new-ish coach, and have kind of made some strides similar to the men's program with Coach Shantae Leggins. And I think that that, that that rivalry would make a ton of sense geographically. Obviously, Gonzaga and Portland are two of the closest programs. There's a lot of Gonzaga fans in Portland. So I think it could be a really fun rivalry if Portland were to reach the level where they were consistently challenging Gonzaga for supremacy in the WCC. Final question of the show comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. He says, if you could go to the bar with three coaches, players, or media personalities from the WCC's history, not including Gonzaga, who would you pick and why? So I got to pick three former coaches, players, media personalities in the WCC that didn't go to Gonzaga. All right, we're going to start with the very obvious one, which is Bill Russell. Bill Russell, a University of San Francisco alum, of course, Boston Celtics, eight championships, one of the greatest top 10 NBA players of all time. He's uh, still a very 
active person in discussing the NBA, discussing, you know, race relations in the United States in general. He's a very outspoken, very intelligent, very uh, just inspirational human. <laughs> I think one of the most inspirational people of the last 60 or 70 years or so. Obviously, you know, for, for good reason, we talk about Jackie Robinson and many other uh, athletes who kind of actually broke the color barrier before Bill Russell did, but he was still extremely iconic in his own right. And I think would be extremely fun to get a chance to talk to if given the opportunity. Next up, Steve Nash, uh, Steve Nash, uh, Santa Clara alumni, two-time NBA MVP, Hall, you know, future Hall of Famer or current Hall of Famer. I'm actually not sure if he's, if he's been retired long enough to be in the Hall of Fame, but will be if he's not currently uh yeah a current coach obviously in the nba i think would be very fun to kind of hear his perspective his you know what his his career was like and just kind of get a chance to to shoot the shit with him uh, and then finally carrie keating is my last pick definitely not the name that i think a lot of people would expect but uh carrie keating former coach at ucla and also the longtime head coach at santa clara uh, i've talked to him a few times i had him on the score zag score podcast twice uh, have not had him on locked on zags yet but we'll hopefully reach out and get a chance to to have him back on the show sometime soon very fun guy just super engaging interesting to talk to he's currently a broadcaster uh, talking about the golden state warriors so he's still plugged into what's currently happening in basketball and i think getting to talk to him about his career about currently watching golden state and and, and all of that would be it felt like we were just hanging out having a beer when i had him on the podcast and so getting to do that in real life Life would be would be very fun as well. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Plenty more realignment talk and more conversations about the NBA Summer League are coming later this week, right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC or Locked On Big East, they don't exist yet. But if you want to be more informed on the West Coast sports happenings, you can do so by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening and go Zags.